Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today on what was a sunny day, it is now raining, in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the microscope. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the air on today's programme by Dan Robson. Dan is the co-founder and managing director of Green Digit Limited which trades as Grow So Simple and that's the company which manufactures the seed cell product range which launched into the retail market in 2015. Dan, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thanks, Scott. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure having you as well, Dan. Now, the purpose of this podcast, first and foremost, is to gather your take on leadership. So what does that word leader actually mean to you personally? Right. Um, I would say it's a very new role for me in my life. Um, But I would say potentially, I think a role model, an instructor, um, and ultimately a captain. Smooth captain of the ship. That's quite interesting. Um, and you mentioned there that uh, maybe you didn't necessarily expect to be in um, a leadership role. So quite early on in your career, um, running your own business is not something you, you particularly imagined then? Uh, not necessarily. I think it's always been in the in the sort of background, um, lurking the ability to sort of the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I came from a family where my, my father was actually um, in business for many years. Um, so I was always, I've always been around it. Um, but it wasn't necessarily something that was something that I was driving towards. Um, it just sort of happened by accident and a happy accident, mind. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't exactly something I've always worked towards. It just kind of came across, really. It's a quite an interesting um, story that you have there. And it kind of um, goes against um, this idea that great leaders are just born ready made for certain roles, because sometimes it does happen by accident, doesn't it? And people can pick up certain qualities and learn how to be good leaders. And like I say, it just sort of um, unfolds before them and leadership is just thrust upon the individual in a way. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, every job I've had, I've always been very, uh, quite observant and quite sort of interested in, in the way that the, the leaders or the, the MD or whoever it is that's sort of managing that particular potential role. Um, I've always been very interested in how they handle things. Um, I've always been very careful as to sort of take the good from those. And I, I let that sort of guide me a little bit and try and inspire me as well. I've had some really good leaders um, in my past. So it's been quite helpful, I think. Okay. And what are some of the examples of leaders that have maybe inspired you and had an impact on your own leadership model? Yeah, sure. So I think I think the best kind of example I could give is that I, um, while I was at university, I was actually um, actually had a job editing um, some images and things for an online clothing website. Um, so I, I mean, I won't mention the name of the website, not to embarrass anyone, but the um, the company was it was quite small at the time. It's grown now. It's it's exponentially grown. Actually, it's a huge um, big company now with um, shops all over the UK. But the MD was um, was very approachable, very friendly, um, and he was also he was very careful to make sure to encourage the staff through you know giving them praise. Um, he would stand at the end of the, the door on the, on a Friday afternoon after a long day, and he would shake everyone's hand as they left. And, it, and you know it was he'd sometimes take you to the pub for a pint. I think that does make the difference. It's, it's some of he was quite hands on. I think that that's something that I've really tried to. I've tried my best to bring into to my role here managing this company. So, mm, I think it is important, um, as you say, to create a positive culture and a very people-minded culture like that example because that's the way that you really get the best out of the people around you and nurture them, isn't it? Because being a leader isn't just mm. about you. It's very much about the collective, those around you, just as much as it is about yourself. 
Absolutely. And it's about how they react to it as well. I think you do need to read, read the room with certain people. I mean, we've had certain staff here that, you know, that they didn't necessarily respond well to that particular way of, of working. It was more of a carrot and stick or stick and carrot. You know, it, it depends on the approach, I think, as well. A good judgment of character can also help to, to you know, know how you will guide those people forward. And if they want to be driven and if they want to be, you know, helped forward, some people just, you know, they're just not, not necessarily looking for that help. Um, and you need to know, you know, when, when to um, put that effort in, I think, sometimes as well. And I think almost um, there can be a little bit of a fear of um, taking on um, leadership by example at times, because there is some people out there um, who are afraid of getting things wrong, aren't they? And then being criticised uh, for the decisions that they've made. Um, is that something really that we should be telling the next generation of leaders to embrace that failure, not be afraid of it, but be willing to try things, get things wrong, learn from them and then improve from that? Absolutely. I think, to be honest, it's I think that, you know, you can't really be scared to, to show yourself up in some respects. I think at the end of the day, a bit of humility, um, you know, we are all human at the end of the day and we all make mistakes. Uh, being honest and open to those mistakes. I've, I've said since day one, when we were building the culture of the business, that there is, there's no, there's no drive, there's no ego within this business because at the end of the day, um, you know, the moment that we start making it about us and not about the company, then it's going to create problems. And I think it's been really well received in that sense. I think the people that we've managed to to, to keep on from warehouse staff to uh, production management um, to the office staff roles, those people that we have sort of invested our time into have really responded well because we, we can all talk and we're all very, uh, sort of, I suppose we're all quite conscientious of each other. Um, but also, you know, we're, we're quite open. I think having an open policy is, is really important. I think the minute that, um, staff start to hide things from you, you're doing something wrong. And would you say that that leadership style helps minimise conflict within the workplace as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think so, yeah. I mean, it is still a workplace because at the risk of sounding a little bit David Brent-esque here, it's, um, you can you can have, you know, you can have, enjoy your job and things, but um, yeah, it is still a workplace. I think we don't, we don't really have enough time to have any conflicts, to be quite honest with you, Scott. Um, as a small business, especially at the moment, you know, it's it's pretty full steam ahead. So, um, yeah, I think it's resolved. I think it's resolved those kind of issues, really. Mm, absolutely. And um, I think um, in the context of the current climate, I mean, every single business leader is very busy at the moment, even if they're working mm. from home, because we're trying to navigate this storm of COVID-19. And I can imagine that's also been a huge learning curve as well um, for yourself um, as a business leader, because um, you hear it often said that this is very much unprecedented times, uncharted territory. Um, is there anything um, that you have learned from the experience of managing this crisis? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as you say, there is no guide. Um, this is, you could read all the books in the world about, um, you know, business management and things, but there's nothing to go by here. So it's just, you know, it's kind of, as we kept describing it when it first happened, it's kind of like going off road. Um, I think the thing that enabled us to, to be able to, um, I say weather the storm so far is we've been, we're very, um, we're very sort of flexible. Um, and we also were quite adaptable as well. I think you've got to be really quick um, in terms of the way that you deal with these things. Um, you know, you you can't dwell on, on decisions. So, um, for example, the way that we've kind of worked with this is really we, you know, our our main sort of um, business model is business to business. We sell through, we sell our products into retailers. Um, those retailers are usually garden center based, but they're also, 
we do also offer them to, to high street retailers. Now that that actually that revenue stream has completely dried up, and that's really just at the peak of our season. So from from our perspective, you know, this is doing a huge amount of damage to the actual um, the gardening industry as itself. Um, but it's also, you know, it's not just the garden centres, it's suppliers as well that are suffering. So the way that we've navigated this so far has been to, um, we've, we've been talking for a few years about having a post-based kind of pack that's something we could send through the post that would fit through a UK post box. Um, so we actually designed that last year. And what we've done is we've actually, we've just launched that very quickly. We've, we've steamed that forward and put everything behind it. And, and now we're, we're actually selling it to some select retailers um, to put on their website, but we're also doing it from our own website. And that's taken off a lot quicker than we thought. It's been really, really quite successful so far. So seeds by post is the new is the new norm, apparently. And that's um, a really interesting uh, point, actually, because um, the, you hear it said uh, quite often that um, this is going to change uh, the way that we do business. And business is having to be um, innovative, reactive and creative in order to be able to seize upon the opportunities that will come about as a result of this. Because when we do come out of the other side of this pandemic, there will be opportunities there for businesses to seize upon, won't there? Absolutely. I think um, from our point of view, um, I mean, I can only speak from our point of view, but the gardening industry has been very heavily reliant on garden centres and we will still be heavily reliant on that because they are a place to go, a place to enjoy. Um, And, you know, the centres have uh, cafes and coffee shops and kids play areas. I think that will continue, but I think that people that are going to innovate and people that are going to have to keep their head above water through innovation and through being adaptive We'll have to find the, the you know web sale option and the direct to customer option um, a lot more favourable. It's not something we've always put first because it wasn't the low hanging fruit for a small business. It's always been driven through um, our selling into retailers, which is garden centres. Um, however, at the moment, that's the best way to access the customer. So, you know, we are at the moment operational. Um, we do cover. We're actually covered under the um, key workers, surprisingly, because it's a seed supplier. Um, but what we've got is all the staff are, you know, fully masked, uh, fully you know, gloves, washing their hands every every hour or so, and they're in small shifts, at least three meters apart. So we're doing everything we can to keep everybody um, comfortable and everybody safe. Um, and this is it's working at the moment. Um, but I think, yeah, it'll definitely be a big part of what we're looking to do moving forward as well. Mm. And considering the government's approach to this um, whole crisis, they've been very much reactive as opposed to proactive. They've had measures in place, procedures in place, but it's very much been working on the guidelines of the experts, the health experts, the scientists. And there has been a little bit of criticism of that. Um, some people may think mm. that it was too slow of a response. And if you could essentially be the uh, the prime minister for the day um, yourself, Dan, um, is there anything that you would perhaps try and change? Retrospectively, I think um, we, we did we did sort of um, maybe I've watched too many disaster films, um, but we, we did sort of see this coming a little bit, and we, we were prepared in a way to launch our plan maybe a little bit quicker than other businesses. So you know, I think going forward, I think there'll be a lot more um, a lot more alert for anything coming incoming that could be potentially disastrous like this. It's a very that's a very tough question, Scott, because mm. um, you know I, I think. I think they should have put into action um, a call for a call to arms for all of the small businesses to do what they can a lot quicker. Um, I, I have had some conversations with people who are supplying products to the NHS that aren't CE marked and things. Um, who, who has the you know who has the responsibility? Where is the indemnity for those products? You know, I mean, 
insurance that only, only cover the product that you manufacture. So um, I think it's difficult. It's, it's a lot of red tape that's covered up. I think maybe that could be a little bit more transparent. Mm. Of course, hindsight is um, a uh, wonderful thing. And um, it's about, um, again, when we go back to that keyword learning um, as a leader, it's about taking the lessons from this pandemic and how it's been handled and then carrying that through to the future. And if we do think about the uh, the future for a moment, Dan, before we do wrap things mm. up, and um, what do you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself and Grow So Simple? And what do you collectively hope to achieve in that time, especially coming out of this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's going to be a huge surge in the Grow Your Own community, um, in the Grow Your Own uh, market as well. Um, I think that's going to be interesting to watch unfold. Um, a lot of people are, are sort of have less and less faith, I guess, in the supermarket supply chain. There'll be a push to be more self-sufficient, to grow your own, um, the sort of um, the good life kind of, uh, if you will, first and dependable. Um, so it, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that, that will um respond in terms of um, our revenue, in terms of how we can approach that side of things. Um, yeah, I think we've, we've got a lot of interest at the moment um, in export. It's been a big push for us over the last two years, so I'd like to see that continue. Um, I know that we are, um, we're looking to export into the United States further. Um, that's a big push that we're working on at the moment. Um, so hopefully that'll be something that we continue to do, and um, we'd like to see ourselves maybe you know opening up a um, an office in the United States sometime soon. I've got to say, um, amid all of the uncertainty, it seems as if there's some real ambition there, Dan. And what I think would be uh, perhaps um, really, really good um, in future, um, in a few months' time, once we start seeing that fog lifting, is to perhaps revisit this and discuss how the business has been doing and how some of those hopes have uh, played out. But for now, um, it's been um, very insightful and also an absolute pleasure having you on today's programme. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me for the benefit of the listeners today. It's an absolute pleasure, Scott. No problem at all. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on, Dan. Um, No problem. All the best. All the best. Coming up on um, next on the programme, I should say, um, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Now, as well as scoring over 200 league goals during his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Jeff remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a Football World Cup, and that follows his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 years ago, as his team lifted the jewel makeup. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times but when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time. Mm. 
being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, 
uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with Seven Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at the time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the 
prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally, um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's." Uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. Which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we, um, uh, well, you want me, I, I think, can tell you if you want, you want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. 
Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh, it if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> The straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on all together all those years later it didn't just finish after 66 it, that reunion that camaraderie that team spirit mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long 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 time and I wouldn't and- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorise those I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.